Do you think about making dynasty trades even while watching football games? Are you thinking of player values when you should be thinking of family values? Then you may have a trading problem. Don't worry, you're not alone. I am Dynasty Outhouse and I have a trading problem. And I'm Brian Haar and I also have a trading problem. Join us for the Trade Addicts podcast where you can be with like-minded people and talk about everything in the NFL in the context of dynasty trade values. News and notes, make amends, keep trade buys, all these things we will cover every week. And don't forget Trade Addicts trades. So when you're done listening to this fine DLF family podcast, please tune in to the Trade Addicts podcast. Thank you and enjoy your podcast. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and learn some at once. With the mask not adding up, you said I'm checking it out. I'm working to the ground. Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. This is a member of the DLF family of podcasts and I am still trying to fit 30 minutes of content into a 20 minute window before I go to work. Several days late while you all get ready for watching Monday Night Football. So let's get to it. Okay, so real quick, last week uh, the the high-low model spat out Chase Claypool, CeeDee Lamb, uh, DeAndre Adams. DeAndre Adams? Devontae Adams, Keenan Allen, and Mike Evans all as players that are underperforming their value, and they all went off in week five. Uh, the model's available on my free data ship sheet, uh, pinned to my timeline both on Patreon and on uh, Twitter. It's on Patreon, but I'm putting out free data, and I've been including it in there just because it's a fun exercise I think could turn that to be even more accurate. For example, in week five, it also sped out Sammy Watkins, who didn't play, so it doesn't count, uh, Alan Robinson, who disappointed again this week, um, even with Justin Fields, Michael Pittman, who hasn't played yet, Marvin Jones, who only scored three points, but he's a Jaguars wide receiver, so meh. And Michael Gallup continues to be on the list because he hasn't played for a while, so I've got to find a way of working that off the list. Adam Thielen did disappoint, said he was underperforming his volume, although he was fairly low down this uh, 10-player list here, and he only scored six points this week. Odell Beckham Jr. was meant to bounce back up this week as well and also failed, so that's at least three distinct misses um, on the list, but I'm so far pretty happy with how it's performing. Um, Let's see how next week does. Uh, You can go check it out on that sheet, obviously. Okay, so the subject for this week is vacated targets because no one will stop talking to me about it even though I've written about it extensively and no one else really has and uh, yet everyone keeps using it. I'm always worried, especially in the off-season, that my fears of vacated target narratives are overblown and I'm actually strawmanning a more sophisticated position because there is useful information in there. Like I said, I've actually done deep research on it trying to understand it i'm not suggesting i know exactly how team volume works what i'm saying is that when i look most of the narratives i hear around vacated targets or i think i hear around vacated targets turn out to be so completely false they're literally lies they're myths to be nice they're lies to be accurate like it does not work that way as far as i can tell i have found some significant signal in that in, in a positive light, I found lots of negative significant signal, but in a positive light, if a player is wide receiver two on a team and the wide receiver one disappears and both were having over at least a 20% target share, there is a pretty decent likelihood, or at least it is as sticky and as predictive 
as target share typically is, just in and of and by itself, that that wide receiver two, who's already garnering at least 20% of the team's targets, will increase by around uh, a certain factor, which I won't get into. I've got this listed out, and I wrote it up as a Patreon article. You can all go see any time, because DLF is tired of publishing my several months' uh, research papers on vacated targets. I've done it twice, once for situations, one for breakouts, one for individual players, which is actually three times, so you can tell how good I am at numbers. Um, and you can check those out too. But um, the one I found on Patreon was a shorter article just because I found this positive thing about vacated targets and I wanted to put it out there. And essentially, there's a range of outcomes based on the modifier the, uh, the signal spat out where the wide receiver 2 getting at least 20% of targets could decrease or increase to a certain factor, which essentially works out to their target share being able to vary between minus 9% and plus 3%, depending on the type of volume that we're seeing before the wide receiver spat out. Now again, the sticky or predictiveness of it doesn't tell me exactly doesn't tell us exactly where they're going to fit on that range, but there is a slight positive signal that if a large uh, target share player is missing, another large target share player on the depth chart might see a slight increase. You could also see a decrease depending on the, the situational factors that could be because the team overall sees a decline in play because losing a good player who you know, a player garnering a significant share of this team's targets is typically a good player, or at least a good player relative to that depth chart, then the team might be less successful, and the team could also just opt for a different game plan and pass less, and that could affect target share as well moving forward with that player missing off the depth chart. Here's the thing. I found a positive signal, but it's relatively sticky only compared to target share on a week-to-week basis, not season-to-season basis, and could be said to be as much negative as positive, but I put it out there because I want to find the value of it because there is clearly value in tracking how players and players who dominate or don't dominate target share leave and remaining on the depth chart affects that depth chart moving forward. Here's my ultimate conclusion. There are so many other variables involved that the vacated targets or target share in and of themselves hold no signal to predicting any of it. That's not to say it's not valuable in the same way that knowing that Debo Samuel is missing before Brandon O'Hare goes off radically changes that depth chart. But I think that sentence does just as much for you as any particular vacated target or vacated target share or vacated air yard share or vacated air yards number might do for you because the numbers themselves don't incline us or give us any kind of signal to indicate that any particular stat or method of play calling or a player's role in the offense is going to increase or decrease to a significant extent. In other words, the number itself is worthless, just the knowledge that there is a change in the way or perhaps a likely change in the way that team is spreading volume around the players that are currently on the depth chart affected. Another way of thinking about this, and I've talked about this so much, I have just I'm just gonna roll out some familiar tropes here. Players on the depth chart radically affect the spread and the uh, the location, if you want, of targets on a week-to-week and season-to-season basis. Obviously, if you have Debo Samuels on the team, you can target Debo Samuels. And because he's pretty good, he sucks up a pretty significant volume um, of those targets, especially in a scheme specifically designed around his skill set and where it excels on that area of the field. Debo Samuels not being on the Colts does not affect where targets go. In the same way that a player that used to be on the depth chart either last week or last year doesn't affect um, the targets of the San Francisco 49ers next week, 
players on other teams don't affect the targets for a particular team for a particular week or for a particular year. I don't know why my brain is weird or why this never made sense to me and why I immediately took a that doesn't make sense and so I'm going to go look narrative. I also don't know why anyone talking about or asking about what's going to happen with the vacated targets of this player or that player on a week-to-week basis just doesn't look. It's pinned to my timeline. Please go look at what happens. These are my conclusions based on actually running my peepers over the numbers from a historical basis. But you don't have to go all the way back to, I think I went back to 2009 and look at the historical trends and the historical occurrences um, for a 10-year sample size. That sounds like a thing that I would do, just use a random 10-year sample size and think that sounds like a fairly good time boundary. But just look. Then then I will have to stop saying these things because it doesn't work. And I tell you what, Let's do that this week, because several players were missing off the depth chart for this week's games, and obviously Twitter um, tagged me a lot about where all the vacation targets were going. And here's the thing, while I worry that I'm strawmanning the idea of vacated targets, because some very, very smart, sophisticated, and excellent fantasy players track and utilize this information to a great degree, uh, including over... Um, what is it now? NBC Sports Edge. Uh, you've got John Daigle, literally, who's been tracking this. And I really rec- highly recommend you check J- John Daigle out. Check out his research that's freely published on NBC Sports Edge. Whatever used to be, Roto World. And because he's been putting it out forever, and it's really interesting. It's really difficult data to track, I have since learned. And so it has value, and he's using it to a great degree. I don't think he's using it the way you think he's using it, because every time a player goes missing or gets injured, the questions and the assumptions, specifically for DFS, are wildly inaccurate based on what we should likely expect. What should we likely expect? Well, that depends very specifically on that team context, that depth chart, and the play caller and the coach. So you can see how we're starting to guess about motivations and intentions of that particular team much more than we're using a particular number to create a signal to help us understand what's going to happen in the future. So let's look at week five. Five? Yeah, week five, with certain players literally being missing, having been asked all week, I'm not strawmanning, who was getting and what would happen with these targets. And also, in Kyle Pitts's case, it being suggested, Calvin Ridley being missing is why he went off, which probably means you need to go back to the drawing board and how you think volume or what volume is valuable at all, because we'll get to it. That's just crazy. Um, and see how it affects, literally run our peepers over what happened, instead of continually guessing based on a... Uh, a logical concept because I get it it makes sense and they're going to throw for a similar number of times so where are those targets going to land but that's the thing thinking of it that way thinking about targets that literally no longer exist anymore and wouldn't exist even if that player is healthy because there are events that occurred last week not this week um continuously continually leads us to the wrong conclusions to make worse or more often worse understandings of what's going to happen in the future because that's basically the entire game like it's impossible to predict the future but that's kind of the entire ball game getting what's going to happen more right more of the time and i operate on a real simple premise take it for what it's worth and and think about 
whether you agree with it as I go through what literally just happened. If an explanation for how things work doesn't accurately explain what happens the majority of the time, not even a certain number of times out of 10, but if the majority of the time your understanding or an understanding of how targets work literally is the opposite of what occurs in reality because you run your peepers over it and check it out then it's just false it's not it doesn't work sometimes it's not we all get it wrong it's not variance as close as we can get to what is true and what is not true is something continually fails the majority of the time to explain how things work then it's just wrong in the same way that a broken clock is right twice a day, as the old proverb? I don't know. The old saying set goes. Um, just if you continually say vacated targets are going to lead to a breakout, and every every now and again you see a breakout uh, correlated with a large number of vacated targets, but the majority of those breakouts don't correlate with an abundance of vacated targets, then vacated targets is just false or falsely connected to in our brains the idea of breakouts and again that's what my the the small mind stupid man research of myself seems to suggest the majority of the time there is little or no connection to breakouts good games or increases in target share for particular players that were interested in fantasy with vacation or vacated targets. It's not semantics, it's literally just not true. So example number one, Calvin Ridley missed week five. He was averaging, like, what? what is that average? Let me just literally use my peepers. I like saying that. Um, he was averaging 11 targets a game. He's had 10, 11, and 13 targets over the last three games. He had eight targets in week one, which actually pulls down the average a little bit. Either way, he's averaging about 11 targets. That's a phenomenal number of targets. Without Calvin Ridley, the idea that those pass attempts have to go somewhere should have significant value, especially because a lot of the, oh, it's just semantics arguments that I've heard include, it. well, what about those players' targets being essential to the offense? Yeah, yeah, Calvin Ridley's targets must be essential to the offense. He's highly targeted. He's got the highest expected points share on the uh, on the team, and he's pivotal to the way that offense is moving, even if his production has been slightly disappointing this year because of Kadera Patterson catching all the touchdowns. All right, so let's start from a broad view. What happened in week five without Calvin Ridley? For the team, the team passed 46 times. That's four more times than it passed in week four. It's like 10 times more than it passed in week three. And it's two times less than it passed in week two. Essentially, it's the second highest volume they've put out um, in week five. It was a fairly weird game that I want to break down in different ways uh, anyway, but um, that's neither here nor there right now. Essentially, there was no loss of targets. Now, based on my vacated targets research, I assume that it's a basically a 50-50 proposition whether a team passes 50% more or 50% less when significant targets are lost on the offense because that's, again, what my more holistic research essentially showed. And I was trying to use it to demonstrate the randomness of it, and I think that point largely got missed when anyone read the research. But, I mean, they could have passed 50% more or 50% less with the loss of someone like Calvin Ridley. Instead, they stayed pretty much on average. In fact, it's the second highest volume total um, on, this, on this particular season with these 
these players minus Calvin Ridley. So it's a pretty good example of how vacated targets work. So, where did Calvin Ridley's 10 targets end up? Nowhere! They didn't go anywhere. They don't exist. The team passed a similar volume, but Kyle Pitts, who had a really good week, got one extra target this week. And if you think that one extra target is one of Calvin Ridley's, and why did Kyle Pitts had a very similar target share? In week four, he had um, a target share of 23.1. In week five, he had a target share of 22.2. The team volume crept up, slightly and Kyle Pitts target share went down despite having one extra target because he had the exact same share of the offense he does every week and because he's had really good volume and was due to go off honestly if you think Kyle Pitts being out is because of Calvin Ridley then you're essentially talking about types of work for example in week I don't have expected points for week five yet because Rodovis doesn't spit him out till well into the next week, but he had 15 expected points last week. That's a lot, actually, and was kind of showing why he should overproduce. But if he had 20 expected points this week when Rodovis data finally comes around, then you could suggest the loss of Calvin Ridley wasn't his targets, it was where he was getting targets, and therefore they had more value. Now, again, based on having researched this before, I highly doubt it. And we could also do this just with breaking down red zone work, where it's such a small area of the field, there's a high amount of variance anyway, which is kind of another reason vacated targets don't help you. But it could suggest that there is a slight increase in likelihood that Kyle Pitts gets a red zone touch, and therefore that increases his likelihood of scoring a touchdown. But if looking at Kyle Pitts' overall volume numbers this year and overall production numbers this year gives you the impression that Calvin Ridley being gone was required for him to have a good game, then I guess trade Kyle Pitts. And I think you're crazy if you do for that reason, because... That's just not what's going on. Kyle Pitts has had high volume, high usage, and high value volume, and he was slightly underperforming it for all of this year. He was due to bounce up, and also I'm not too concerned about that underperformance because the team has been stinking it up. Cordero Patterson has been scoring and rushing for all the touchdowns and creating a lot of potential regression for himself and also limiting the types of production any other players could put up. That's the reasonable explanation of what's going on and what happened in week five for Atlanta. And the vacated targets literally don't matter. Where did they go, though? Well, in this particular instance, yeah, Carl Pitts got an extra target. I really don't think that's a function of Calvin Ridley being gone because of his target share. But if you want to search for him, oh my, Zacharias got 8% instead of 7% of the team's targets. Lee Smith jumped from 0% to 6.7% of the team targets in week five. And Tajay Sharp jumped from 5% to 11%. Christian Blake jumped from 0% to 8.9% of the team targets. The passing volume just spread out. And this is, again, a central core. The idea of vacated targets would suggest that Calvin Ridley's targets are core to that offense. He's a large function of that offense operating with the highest level of executive points percentage on the team. So these are valuable targets going around, and why are you throwing to Christian Blake? Now, hopefully some of that is triggering the correct uh, explanation of the uh, of how volume works, which is they're not Calvin Ridley's targets at all. They're, Calvin, they're Christian Blake's targets, and Christian Blake's targets operate at a lower A dot, often as dump offs or unnecessary targets, or targets that just are the best ones available because Kyle Pitts is covered or the scheme calls for going for a different area of the field. That's not one Calvin Ridley is targeted. He's targeted more specifically and intentionally by the team. 
so vacated targets did nothing in week five with Calvin Ridley being missing off the depth chart. Let's look at someone else this week. Um, actually, that's an interesting one I want to come back to. Uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah, this is an example I actually want to de- dig back from from week three. In week three, um, Pittsburgh lost Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson, like Calvin Ridley, has phenom- phenomenal, phenomenal? Phenomenal will do. Phenomenal target share. He's had 10, 12, 13, and two targets in week five, just, just for the lulls, I guess. Um, but before week three, he'd had 10 and 12 targets. That's an amazing share of the team's offense, and we know Deontay Johnson is getting a lot of targets last year and this year. So what's going to happen to his targets? Well, in week three, Najee Harris had 19 targets. Ah, ha, ha. And Chase Claypool had 15 targets. Good point. So what was happening on a team level? Well, if we look at week three of Pittsburgh, which you can do, you can run your peepers over it, over it as well. Again, it's been to my timeline. The team passed 58 times. The team passed like 50% more than it did in any other game in week three. In week one, it passed 31 times. In week two, it passed 40 times. In week three, without Deontay Johnson, it passed 58 times. Like that's an increase of 18 pass attempts in that particular game. And I don't know, Part of you is like, oh, does is that game script dependent? Yeah, the matchup and who they're playing and how that game goes actually affects how many times a player passes the ball or how many times a team passes the ball, unlike players who are not on the field. Weirdly, you know, just weirdly run that one through your mind. Maybe maybe it'll help. Um, in week four, they passed 40 times, and this week, apparently, they passed 25 times. I really have to go check that game out. Either way. Najee Harris's targets easily explained by the phenomenal increase in volume that week. He got a 32% target share and essentially jumped into the top five in overall opportunity for the running back position just based off that week. So where did Deontay Johnson's targets go? Well, maybe Chase Claypool. He got extra targets, like I said, but his target share jumped from 22% to 25%. And that week, with Juju Smith-Schuster still being healthy and Ben Roethlisberger literally being out to ruin my fantasy team, by the way, he dropped from 17% to 7%. So are Chase Claypool's targets bumps coming from Juju Smith-Schuster, who was weirdly targeted less despite the team passing more, and Deontay Johnson vacating, and I'm yeah, I'm doing air quotes on that word right now. Um, 10 to 12 targets. Neither. Neither is the obvious explanation. Deontay Johnson is not affecting the target number or the target share of this team in week five. Because he's not there. He's not there. So his targets went nowhere because his targets no longer exist and didn't exist for this week because he wasn't there to earn or create them. So the team changed its depth chart. It literally changed how it was going to call the game. It was a lot more Najee Harris focused. It was a lot more Chase Claypool focused. And that being said, in that particular matchup, it led to an exponential increase in volume because of the game script they were facing and the way they wanted to play it. Deontay Johnson's targets literally had no effect on anyone else's target share. It's the only, as far as I can tell, reasonable explanation for the targets occurring on a week-to-week basis. Deontay Johnson's just didn't matter. All right. Now, the interesting one I nearly pulled up a second ago is actually New York Giants, because it's someone we've got to talk about. Kadarius Tony is going off. Two games in a row, he's had significant volume. He's headbutted a coach. He's been expelled from a game and got over 120 yards, I think, in both of those games. It's kind of happening for Kadarius Tony truthers, and it looks like a wild and fun ride. But New York Giants 
is John is Kadarius Tony being breaking out because of the depletion of the team's depth chart? And honestly, no. I want you to think no. So let me explain why I think no. And remember, this would mean that I was heavily wrong on Kadarius Tony. I'm not victory lapping Kadarius Tony. I like every other nerd. Well, not every nerd, but most nerds, or this nerd at least, didn't think Kadarius Tony was going to do much of significance in the NFL, and I still continue to hold on to that because I like being all in and all out and kind of all out. But Kadarius Tony, over the last two weeks, has had 25% of the team's targets and 35% of the team's targets in week five. But we also did lose Colin Johnson in week four, and he had a 20% target and share in week three. So I suppose you could think it was Colin Johnson being missing, but it's not because Kenny Galladay and Saquon Barkley and Sterling Shepard were injured. Although he was injured in week four when Kadarius Tony had the first significant target share, he only had 8% of the targets in week three, and Kadarius Tony only had 8%. It's not that there isn't change on the depth chart and the potential of opportunity when a player like Sterling Shepard goes out. It's that his targets specifically aren't don't seem directly connected or correlated to the targets of Kadarius Tony or anyone else in the depth chart. The team can restructure itself, it can pass more, it can pass less, both based on both game script and how now it wants to handle itself when someone like Sterling Shepard or Colin Johnson presumably are no longer on the depth chart. And we kind of have to guess at those things based on those coaches and the players still remaining on the depth chart and the players the player that is not going to be on the depth chart the following week literally has no connection or correlation or potential use in trying to understand what's going to happen going forward just the fact they're missing means we need to re-kajigger our understanding of how this team will operate but the targets and the target share itself have no way of telling us how that outcome will actually unfold So in this case, I'm not showing that a player being missing from the depth chart doesn't literally affect or seem to uh, increase the volume of any one particular player. And even when a team passes more, it might bleed out like it did um, for the Atlanta Falcons to less relevant players. Or the target share may correlate into one player instead of spreading out over two significant players like Juju Smith-Schuster and Chase Claypool. Instead, the team changes its plan of action instead goes to shorter passes to the running back which radically changes the value of the running back but there was no way of knowing or expecting that based on a high volume wide receiver with a much further ADOT being missing off the team so that's three different ways a player can go missing three different types of players that all have significant target share and and three different reactions from those teams that are best probably read or predicted by knowing those coaches and knowing the players still on the depth chart for those weeks or the weeks going forward, and literally nothing to do with either the target number or the target share of the players who are missing. In that third instance, it's not so much the players are missing so much as a breakout occurring. I don't think Kadarius Tony necessarily needed Sterling Shepard to be injured the last two weeks for this breakout to occur because, again, Sterling Shepard's target share isn't correlating or his targets isn't correlating um, or connecting or seeming to add up to where the targets are going now. Now, it could have created and 
obviously does create a, the a difference in the depth chart and the way the team approaches it. So there is some truth to the idea that Kaderis Tony has needed a change on the depth chart for his opportunity to come up, but he's definitely not catching Sterling Shepard's targets. And I hope through three instances of us getting it drastically wrong, if we thought that, then you can see how thinking that to start with isn't just semantics. It's leading to a fundamental misunderstanding of how volume does work and might work when we're trying to guess what happens next week. His breakout being explained as a loss of Sterling Shepard is not only inaccurate, it might do a disservice to how he's actually earning targets. I have my own, own concerns with Kadarius Tony, how he plays and how I'll do moving forward, but it's not that he needed room on the depth chart to open up before he earned targets. In the same way that right now I can't make excuses for Elijah Moore for earning target share but not producing. Now, we'll see how the numbers are at the end of the season. That's the way we operate with rookies. But so far, it's been disappointing, although he has earned interesting volume. I don't make excuses for a player based on other players on the depth chart if the whole point is that that player has to be good enough that the other players on the depth chart don't matter. And that's actually what Kadarius Tony seems to be doing right now. Now, there is some subtlety to that and that Jamison Crowder and Corey Davis are likely dominating that team's offense because there isn't a Julio on the team. That's been a consistent problem with Corey Davis, although we have seen Corey Davis continually being able to benefit from another good player, almost as if he's an above-average player in himself, but isn't necessarily a, a chain mover or at least an offense mover in and of himself like I always hoped he could be when he was a rookie. So we get it kind of both right and wrong with that rookie profile evaluation. All right, um, I'm getting close to time here, so let's see if I can just pull up one more example. Who else did I have up? San Francisco. Yeah, that's one. Let's look at them. And so George Kittle is missing from the offense, and the San Francisco 49ers and um, Arizona had a real weird game this week, and it's another one I want to break down and try and understand for a variety of reasons. But George Kittle has a very significant target share. Over the last two weeks, he's had 23% of the team's targets and 28% of the team's targets. That has boiled down to nine targets and 11 targets. Now, his volume has been slightly disappointing, or rather his production. He had five targets and four targets through week one and two, but it has significantly shifted towards the second half of the start of this season, where he's back up to nine and 11 targets with Debo Samuel still getting 10 or 12 targets so we could ask the question right there who's vacating these targets the answer is no one obviously but instead with George Kittle missing what happened the idea being that Brandon Ayu could shift inside again or presumably they could change their play cording because George Kittle is such an essential part of that offense that they could shift the ball more outside and Brandon Ayuk could remain outside and catch more balls with a larger depth chart and therefore blow up this week. Well, in fact, Brandon Ayuk had 14% of the team's targets, which is double what he had in week four with George Kittle, but it's about what he had in week three with George Kittle. He had 15% of targets in week three. And Brandon Ayuk is kind of up and down right now. It's game script dependent. If they need to go to where he's playing on the field, they will happily go there. He's a player who's going to catch two targets for almost nothing or four targets for the world. He's kind of that player right now. That doesn't mean we should forget that he can co-op significant target share when Debo Samuel isn't on the field. He's a good player. We're fortunate enough to know that and his value might be dropping right now, which is kind of a good dynasty move in my opinion. But... To go back to vacated targets for just a second, did San Francisco pass more or less this week? That's 
kind of the share of the if we're talking about the share of the pie we're kind of interested in what size of pie it is and they actually passed a lot less in week five they passed 29 times without george kittle but again it was kind of a weird game with arizona so that this is largely game script dependent but it does tell us that the pie has shrunk nearly in half i mean they passed 41 and 40 times in week four and week three and 29 times this week without george kittle again i'm hoping you're seeing that that's got much more to do with the way they've decided to structure their offense with the players still remaining on their depth chart and that game had much more to do with that 29 times this week than the loss um, of George Kittle because again that that seems to be how it's working when I go and look and hopefully you'll come to similar conclusions or you won't and you'll be able to tell me what I'm missing if you go and look for it yourself but in week five, with George Kittle missing, our fourth example, with at least 10 to 11 targets missing from this offense from the last two weeks, no one saw a significant rise in target share. Brandon Ayuk had a target share we've seen him have before in tough games when they need to go to that area of the field for him. And Mohamed Sanu went from 12% to 10%. He dropped slightly. And Kyle Ustek did go from 10% to 14%. Um, that seems more, again, about where the game script is and doesn't seem that his role in the offense is changing drastically because George Kittle is missing. And that is significant because Kyle Ustek kind of operates in a similar area of the field as George Kittle. Um, outside of that, Ross Dooley? I don't know. He went from 2% to 7%. Uh, Travis Benjamin actually got targets for the first time and went up to 10%. So presumably a lot of the work is shifting over tra Travis Benjamin. And just to throw it out there... What is his ADOT? Normally he's a further down the field guy. That's why I'm curious. Yeah, his ADOT was 20. So if they were George Kittle's targets and George Kittle was, while not on the field, operating much further down the field than he typically does and Travis Benjamin was catching them. What's happening there is the team has shifted where its targets are going, not George Kittle's targets, but they've started to throw more to the outside with Brandon Ayuk and Travis Benjamin. And again, I think that's largely because of the game script, uh, the game and the matchup they were actually having. But if we can read anything into the plan they had coming into this matchup, it was to move the ball further outside. But essentially, the offense still works, still continue to work the way it does when everyone's healthy. Uh, Debo Samuel got 32% of the team's targets. I could look up air yards as well, but I'm sure it's just the same. Um... Yeah, he had 67% of the team's whopper, which is well in his range um, for this season. Um, and that's how the offense essentially operated. No one got George Kittle's targets because they didn't exist. The team went to the outside a little bit more, but not in a way that largely affected Brandon Ayuk. In fact, it had a larger effect on Travis Benjamin, and that didn't matter at all for fantasy football. Um, and this was such a weird game because that actually matters for how volume's working and where fantasy volume might um, might be coming from um, that uh, neither Brandon Ayuk or Travis Benjamin were able to capitalize on that and score significant points this week let me just check that yeah Brandon Ayuk had five points Travis Benjamin had zero despite that 10% target share okay so uh, yeah there's yet another a fourth example like literally this week um, where a significant number of targets are missing from the depth chart, but because of the game script and the way they decided to call the game, there was no significant value in knowing that George Kittle was missing. 
The targets didn't go to his area of the field. They weren't particularly fantasy relevant or as fantasy relevant as George Kittle's targets typically tend to be. And the offense changed itself slightly, but not significantly to mean that Debo Samuels wasn't the primary target and the offense wasn't working primarily through the shorter passing game um, as this offense has continued to operate. Brandon Ayuk's breakout last year, remember, happened because Debo Samuel was missing and De- and Brandon Ayuk moved into that shorter area of the field where he proved himself to be very capable because he's very likely very good relative to the NFL level of competition. It's just that the offense isn't using him that way or wasn't using him that way in week five, even with the loss of George Kittle. So it was a fair guess because you've got a good player you can know who can do that kind of thing. But... They didn't. They decided not to do it. They kept him in the similar area of the field, and they didn't. And they did target that area of the field more. But it kind of split between him and Travis Benjamin instead of wholly going to uh, Brandon Ayuk. So, despite the fact that we do have a good player, Brandon Ayuk, we know he can cooperate a large number of targets if they're targeting the area of the field that he's in. It still didn't work, probably because reality's a bitch guys you can get everything right and the loss of a very significant player like George Kittle can create a change in the air of the field enough and that the targeting that your guy could see a highly likelihood to get targets and then he just doesn't because it's a weird game with Arizona that doesn't really work and the defenses play pretty decent and apparently according to the people that responded to my uh, request for how this game looked on Twitter it was more that the defenses were playing well but it's more just that there were a lot of run plays called and the and the teams played each other slightly different than we would expect based on what they've been doing this season so yeah again four examples literally right now that we tried to project or use the concept of vacated targets to explain what was going to happen and in all four examples from a breakout to three different games with three very highly targeted players being missing from the depth chart in different weeks and it had not only no correlation or some fancy nerd word it literally did not help us to identify who would be more fantasy relevant next week or what the volume would look like the following week. Now me, having looked over this over a larger target sample or a larger number of 10-year history, has already come to the conclusion that vacated targets don't exist. They don't help explain volume, where targets are going to go, or who is going to break out. But I've just listed four examples out. You can go and look yourself and find more. And I would say... If the majority of times a concept, a logical understanding, and it is very logical of the way the world works, does not explain how the world works the majority of time, then it is just false. But I really want other people to look. I've been trying to encourage other nerds to look forever because I don't, I'm not a statistician and I'm certainly not very smart, so maybe I'm missing something. But every example, even in this week-to-week basis that I come to, seems to continue to encourage me to believe that the targets missing or the player missing has zero relevance to what might happen the following week and it should just be dismissed. Let me know what you think. Check it out. Uh, talk to me uh, somewhere or if I'm just crazy or missing something. So I really want to know if it can help. I want to know how. It just literally doesn't seem to help explain how anything happens. And that's kind of a hard... Uh, our whole game. See, I can use words. Anyway, really appreciate it. Talk to you again next week. Bye. Yeah.
chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the place, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got their lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that eye, eye like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the place, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the place, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.